Hello, and welcome to the Soundwave podcast, music, technology stories, for people who love the art and science of listening to and enjoying recorded sound. Here it's all about the art and magic of sound reproduction and the related human stories. We survey music, technology, and stories from the early beginnings of relatively low high fidelity to the heyday of the 70s high fidelity and the modern age of digital and streaming. I'm your host, Pat Shepard. For people who are bringing in their vintage audio equipment for repair, what are some of the trends? What are some of the common problems that people face when bringing their vintage stereo equipment in? What advice is there for people who want to buy vintage audio equipment? For these questions and more, please stay tuned for today's superstar guest, Jimmy Diaz from Electronic Service Center. As I recounted in the introductory podcast, I recently got back into being an audiophile by initially reassembling my old stereo system after it had been sidelined for several years with a child in the house. It took backseat to other aspects of life. It was an odd assortment of components, a Harman Kardon AV multimedia receiver, a Technics turntable, a Sony 6CD changer, and some lower tier Bose speakers. Not bad, but not great, and certainly not vintage. I made a conscious choice to get new speakers and restack my system with all vintage components. I spent time trolling eBay and eventually bid on and won a Pioneer receiver, cassette deck, and reel-to-reel tape deck. Though they were all in incredibly good shape, all needed different levels of work done on them simply due to age, replacing belts, fixing leaky transistors, potentiometers, etc. In the future, I'll talk more about lessons learned buying components on eBay. But after researching, I found a highly regarded vintage stereo repair shop and brought all my vintage Pioneer components there to be fixed, bringing me to today's guest. I'm really happy to have Jimmy Diaz of Electronic Service Center. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Let's uh, start by telling me you about yourself, your shop, and how you got into this business. Originally, I'm from Colombia, South America, and uh, like any other third world country, uh, once uh, you get out of high school, you either start helping at home or you start producing. So I mentioned to my parents, uh, hey, I'm going to study electronics, and not because I liked it, but because I wanted to stay away from home, and um, at the end, it paid off. First, I adventure with printing business. Then I had a restaurant. Then I came in the mid-90s to this country. Uh, was supposed to put up a repair shop with a brother-in-law. And we were supposed to push the business together. He was supposed to quit uh, the company that he was working with. And then uh, he's still working with the same company in He's still working there, so it's not easy, but uh, that's basically how I got into the business and established an electronic service center here in Meta. What are you seeing in the way of trends? Well, basically, there are two kinds of customers. The ones that they basically follow, buy, throw away business, and uh, the ones that they know what they have or they rediscover that, and they wanted to bring it alive. Basically, those are the, the, the two tendencies that I've seen. Customers that they bring their 
home theater receivers, but then next year companies, they come up with a new gadget, new feature. So they, the, what they had a year before, it becomes obsolete. And the other, the other uh, kind of customers that they, they have uh, their 60s, 70s, 80s gear that actually is built quite good and they wanted just to revive it because they want to, I guess they want to stick with that old sound. Yeah, I remember when I came in one day, I saw an older gentleman with an old turntable. And I looked at it, I said, that thing is so old. And, and, but it was obviously he loved it and he was, wanted to keep that in uh, good shape and it meant a lot to him. Before the pandemia, most of uh, pieces for repair were basically home theater receivers. And uh, during and after the pandemic, we got fewer and fewer and fewer of them and more and more vintage stuff, that stuff that's wooden case, uh, view meters and shiny silver buttons, more and more and more. And probably 60, 70% of the stuff that we get for repair now, it's just uh, old receivers, turntables, reel-to-reels, eight tracks, stuff like that. What are the big problems that you see reoccurring over time? Anything mechanical, eventually at one point is going to fail uh, because of that, because of wear, wear and tear. And, um, but it's just a matter of uh, basically rejuvenating the mechanical parts and bingo, it will be back working for another bunch of years. Do you see a lot of success? Are there ever times when people bring in a component that uh, just can't be repaired? Or are you pretty much able to get most things back, back to life? I would say we are like 85% successful with uh, the repairs. Of course, there are some pieces that they are so bad because uh, not that much care was given to that or because they were in an environment which was very corrosive, like humidity, salinity, pieces that come from the Caribbean or Florida that uh, basically the corrosion went too bad that it's... It's very difficult. And then, um, of course, trying to get parts, it's uh, a, it's a challenge. People love to set up their flat screen right on top of the fireplace. And no, that's a no-no. Those uh, oily fumes and all that smoke, it gets into inside and then we'll start having problems. How did you study electronics to get to be at the point where you're at now? I told my parents after high school that I wanted to study electronics. And uh, I went to um, tech, technical institute, something like that, for about five years, studying basic electronics, audio, video. Well, car audio wasn't really a, something that uh, my brother-in-law wanted to get into. So then I started venturing in... Um, and uh, VCRs, TVs, cameras, and stuff like that. Things that we don't do now. We don't do those things now because uh, uh, basically mechanical players are gone and people don't use them. They don't need them. And what advice do you have to give to people who want to buy vintage equipment? There are many things to consider. Many people have uh, that they wanted to adventure in a, in a vintage they have the concept that um, they could buy anything 
because back then if anything, any brand was good, but they don't consider many factors like uh, what kind of speakers you have, uh, what kind of music they listen, what other components they have. If you, for instance, have a Mickey Mouse speakers and you adventure to buy best regarded uh, Sansui or Bryston piece, it will sound like crap. So they have to, basically they have to consider the whole picture, not only pieces separate. What brands are you happy to see come in the shop? And what brands are you not happy to see? In other words, which ones are the better overall components, easier to fix, better to maintain, better value? Well, I could see it from uh, two different point of views. We, as, as uh, from the business point of view, I would love to see Bang & Olufsen and all those high-end brands because they bring us money. Uh, but uh, from the quality point of view, not saying that Bang & Olufsen is not good, but from the quality point of view, uh, you don't have to spend that much money to get good quality sound. I take pieces as if they were mine and try to do a good job, not just repair whatever is broken. So when we see a, a vintage piece is good, we know for a fact that they were good, all of them, regardless of the brand, even pieces that people consider like low end, like a Radio Shack stuff. It's not like a, we don't like to see, it's that we know that they are problematic it's uh, basically from the 50s and, and 40s pieces that old because uh, they've been in, in uh, customers' houses for so long working and getting all that wear and tear that um, it's, uh, it becomes more time-consuming to get them done. And then, of course, um, more expensive for customers. So. Are there parts out there for the, the big brands uh, or is that becoming very scarce? No, there are still parts for those things. Of course, uh, you have to do a good investigation job and do your research. You don't want to buy whatever comes in the first pages of um, eBay. Uh, basically, most likely they are Chinese parts and those are not really good. So eventually they will fail within a year, two years. So we have to basically do a little bit of deeper research. And many times when we don't find parts, basically what we have to do is try to make a good one out of two bad pieces. And we have, uh, we have gotten away doing that many times. Interesting. You take an old unit, rip it apart for pieces and use the pieces in other units. We ask him, hey, if you really wanted it, probably you may want to hunt for the same model on eBay, Chrysler's, uh, and, and see if we could try to make a good one out of two of them. And many times we have done that successfully. And, and um, a bonus would be that uh, they keep the old piece, uh, the, the, the bad piece, and just in case parts are going to be needed in the future. So they have like a donor, basically. What are some of the things to look out for? for people listening to this podcast, when selecting a repair shop and why is yours so well-respected? I, I put myself in, in a customer's shoes and if the customer service is good, you 
you have the confidence to come back and say, hey, this thing wasn't really fixed correctly. Can you guys try to make it uh, work? And sometimes you agree, even if you have to pay more. Is that something that you guys typically do is try and go above and beyond? Yes, basically, uh, one thing that we try to imagine if uh, what this customer it's or how this customer is going to use or what features are that vintage piece this customer is going to use and then tested it. Um, not necessarily this customer is going to use, uh, for instance, uh, the tape input. Many people, they don't use tapes anymore, but we do that because um, it's something that we could do in, in, in a short period of time, testing it, making sure that that works okay. Well, we have the piece open instead of just overlooking that. And then by um, Morphe's law, the customer will use that and then we'll call back saying, hey, this, this input, it's having some problems. I will bring the piece back. And then we have to invest more time um, and fix something that we could take care of when the piece was already open on the first place in less than five minutes. Do you have any funny or interesting stories that you'd like to share about interactions with customers, a particular equipment or suppliers? What I encounter many times, many, many times, it's uh, customers walked in and they see all that kind of gear, like a futuristic design from Bang & Olufsen, or the old turntables like Duels and, and Grartz and um, all those brands, BSRs. And they, they see that kind of mix of equipment here. They adventure to ask us what personal opinions about pieces. And then, for instance, they mention they have these kind of speakers, this kind of turntable, that kind of equipment. And they ask us if we can suggest how to match it. And I don't even ask uh, what brand they have or, or, or how the acoustics of the room is. The first thing that I ask is, well, what kind of music you like? What kind of media you listen to the most? Most of them, for instance, they bring a vintage piece and they trying to make it the centerpiece for a home theater receiver, uh, home theater setup. So um, I tell them right away, it won't work the way that you expect it. Or the other way around, they basically bring in a home theater receiver and they they don't even have a TV set on the setup. They just wanted to work, to make it work with a turntable. Most of the home theater receivers now, they don't bring inputs to hook a turntable. Yeah, basically we go from, from that point asking what kind of music they like and then go backwards uh, if they say, Oh, I like rock. Okay, that's good. And you, your main focus is on rock music. So first, then the following question, uh, what kind of speakers you have? Of course, there are some brands that they work better with certain equipment accordingly to certain kind of music. If you have, a, a, for instance, a Marantz receiver match with serving Vega speakers, Great, that's a good match for rock music. Uh, but if you have the same Marantz receiver with uh, serving Vegas speakers and your main listening style is 
classical music or jazz or bossa nova, uh, you won't like the results. Mm, rock lovers and the, that kind of that kind of style is is good for if you have a morance. If you like pop or rock and roll uh, as your main style of music, uh, then Pioneer will be good for you. Uh, probably match it with uh, JBL speakers. Definitely, if you are into home theater, hey, get a Bose system or or something that actually makes the, the windows of the room rumble. Uh, if you like um, classical music, jazz, bossa nova, that kind of music, then you have to reconsider what gear you get, like uh, uh, old Harman Kardon's 730s, Sansui's, uh, Yamaha's, and then match it with uh, uh, mission speakers, Bowers and Wilkinson's, uh, even Sansui speakers, they, they work pretty good. And the rest is just basically little details. Uh, uh, of course, many, no, not many, but some customers, they go really well beyond what we can imagine. But that's another topic like quality cables, uh, quality connectors, gold-plated, um, uh, soundproof walls and acoustics of the room, and then wooden floors or ceramic floors. But basically, those are minor complementing details. Of course, they, they must be considered if you are going for the hi-fi level. Yes, I've heard many people talk about how the room is the single most important component. It doesn't, many times it doesn't matter what components you pick so much as what the room actually does to the sound. So that's kind of interesting. Yes, you have to consider that if you go to uh, uh, like the, the hi-fi level, if you really wanted to go for like a good piece, good speakers, good quality cables, but uh, if you have a room that acoustically won't help, you could put poor money under those floors, uh, behind those walls, but you will never get the results because the acoustics of the room won't sound the same like the demo room in some of those high-end places. And it seems to me that the experience that you've got built up over the years with all the equipment people bring in and, and whatnot, you've been able to hear all of, when you're talking about all these combinations, you've actually been able to hear them is it's all about taste. I have many, many brands, cheap brands, high-end brands on top of my bench. And uh, there are some brands that basically, to me, they sound average. It could be a, a cheap Radio Shack receiver or, or a really high-end Conrad Johnson amp or Bryston integrated amp. But it's taste. Um, I'm not hooked with those personally. Uh, I'm hooked with uh, Tamberg. It's uh, I think it's Swedish, Scandinavian, something like that. Basically, because the 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 way that they sound when I tested those with my testing speakers, uh, every time that I, for instance, that I uh, heard or work or test a Tamberg. Uh, for uh, let's say TR twenty eighty over my bench with uh, with the speakers that I use to test at every other brand that I have worked with, 
they sound amazing. They sound like jaw dropping. But again, for some people, and I, I, I mentioned, I have mentioned that to many customers because they have asked me, what's the brand that you like the most? And I, I basically mentioned, hey, Tamar. To my taste, the Tamar, the, 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 for the music that I like and the way that the, the piece sounds and the dimension and the detail of the, the, the sound, I like Tamar. Well, they go ahead and hunt for a Tamar receiver and they're not happy because uh, their taste could be different. What magazines do you read to keep up on all this stuff? The paper media that we used to access years ago, um, have, that media have changed. We still have like a absolute sound and, and, and magazines like that. But uh, since uh, we work with certain brands because we are authorized to work with certain brands, well, basically they send us ahead uh, all the information about... Uh, uh, usage, setup, installations, and service for products that are, they're going to be launched in the future. So basically, manufacturers, they, they keep us up to date. And of course, uh, like uh, seminars for training and stuff like that. Well, Jimmy, uh, I'm going to thank you very much for joining me on this show. I found this conversation to be very, very interesting. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you'll come back because I think we could uh, dive into a few topics and talk about some more specifics uh, sometime in the future. But thank you very much for joining me. No, no problem. You're welcome, Patrick. All right. Well, that wraps up today's podcast. We had a great discussion with Jimmy Diaz from Electronic Service Center. I'll have the links for his repair shop posted on my website, thesoundwaveshow.com. So be sure to visit that for all kinds of additional information. I've had some good comments posted there, and I always welcome any comments, feedback, or suggestions for additional content. Stay tuned for the next podcast. And we'll have a lot of fun on that one. All content, except where noted, is copyright Pat Shepard and thesoundwaveshow.com. This theme song is something I put together in GarageBand. See you next time.